Man, love that video. Love the message behind it. it, it it's amazing. For, wait, first, let me get Before I keep going with that, wow. Wow. Was that crazy? My goodness. So I have known Bobby for a while now. Uh, when I was the kids pastor at our other location, uh, Bobby was one of the kids church teachers. And in addition to being just uber talented and incredibly gifted as a, as a musician and as a teacher, uh, I have never seen someone who was able to just captivate a room full of elementary age children the way he was able to do it. I'm sure he's doing that at the high school level as well. But that man has some skills, and God has blessed him, and I am certainly grateful to be able to call Bobby a friend and that he was able to be here today with his uh, a few of his drummers. We were going to get the whole drum line and felt like that might be too much, too big. So uh, this gives us some room to bump it up, go to the HNL next Christmas, all right? Um. You know, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. I love everything about Christmas. I, I, I love the presents, the parties, all that stuff. It, it really is crazy to think about that Christmas is only a week and a half away. Are, are you guys aware of that yet? Has that registered to you yet? My wife was telling me yesterday, uh, it, it is at the point, it may be too late or it might be right on the fringe of being too late. If you order something online, will it be here by Christmas time? You're kind of playing roulette at this point. We don't know. And that just seems, uh, that seems amazing to me. You know, there's all this buildup every year to Christmas and then it gets here and it just goes by so quick. Or at least it seems like it for me. But I, I love all the things about Christmas, but this video is a reminder. These songs that we sang this morning are, are such a powerful reminder of the true meaning of Christmas. The real meaning of Christmas is that it's not about any of those other things. Those other things are fine. They're great traditions. They're great. But we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is incredibly meaningful. Christmas finds its root and its source in the fact that some 2,000 years ago, there was a baby in a manger. Amen? And he was the Messiah of the world. And he came to take away the sins of the world. And he came to establish a new relationship for us. That now that relationship could be reconciled between sinful man and holy God. And so... That is the real reason we celebrate Christmas. That's the reason why we call on the name of Jesus. And Jesus has some other names as well. Jesus is known by a few other names as well. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But I, I want to begin by asking you a question. I wonder, have any of you ever had the privilege to be able to name something? Maybe it was a pet. Maybe you name your car. Maybe there's just something that you, you have a name for it, and it's your name, and now everybody knows it by that. I'm seeing a lot of heads nodding. I wonder if you've ever had the privilege, ever had the honor of being able to name a child. I, I got to tell you, uh, I have, and it really, it's, it's kind of a lot of pressure. It really is because you want to get it. Right, you, you don't want this kid to be scarred for life because of your bad judgment. 
so here's what happened for me and Nicole. Uh, we had talked about, you know, during our dating, during our young, early married days, we had talked about, you know, when we have kids, oh, I like that name, and I like this name, and this name's cool. But then we found out we were pregnant. And the pressure was on. Now all of a sudden, you've got a few months, and then it is time to you the final. You've got to turn in your final answer, right? Just like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that your final answer? It is time. And so very quickly, we were able to decide on a girl's name. I mean, it was amazing. I said one. She said well, we kind of agreed. We put the things together and. We very quickly agreed, and then in the months to follow, we would ask each other, hey, are you still happy with that name? You still feel good about that name? And every time we asked that question, the answer was, yes, man, I love that name. But you guys know that God has a sense of humor, don't you? Because we could not agree on a boy name. I would say good boy names, and she wouldn't like them. And then she would say names that I thought were girl names, but that's what she was wanting to name my boy. And it was like we just could not come together. And this is where I think God sits in heaven and laughs sometimes because we have plans, and then God tells us what's really going to happen. And, and so we agreed on a girl name, couldn't figure out a boy name. And we had nothing but boys. And so it's like, okay, God, all right, I get it. You're in control. But when we were going through, part of the reason why it was so hard to decide on a name is because there are some rules when it comes to naming your children. I hope you guys knew the rules and followed the rules. I'm going to give you a few rules. There are probably more. But here's just a few rules you need to know, okay? You can't name your kid after anyone who aggravated you growing up. If they got on your nerves on the bus, or they were a bully at school, or maybe they just had a really annoying voice, can't, not even being considered, I don't care that that was your grandma's name, I think of that girl in sixth grade, right? And so, so you can't name, it after, name your child after anyone who aggravated you. You can't use the name, this is the second rule, you can't use the name of anyone that you or your spouse used to date. Just for kind of obvious reasons, right? You can't name your kid, this one takes a little bit of explanation, and this might have just been mine and Nicole's rule, so no worries if you broke this one. We didn't want to use the name of anyone else's kids in our circle of friends, does that make sense? So we had friends. If they had named their kid that, we just felt like, well, they beat us. That happened. We really loved the name Landon. We loved that name. But Matt Bartlett had to go and name his kid Landon. How many of y'all know Matt Bartlett? Look around this room. I am always amazed. I have been to Greensboro with Matt. I've been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And there is somebody that we will run across. Matt, how you doing, man? How's your family? It's amazing. Anyway, and so when he comes up with the name Landon, we just felt like, okay, scratch that. That one's off. But obviously, there is a proximity principle in play in this one. Because... I still consider Matt to be a friend. But Matt moved to the western part of the state. And when he did that, and we got pregnant again, Landon was back in play, baby. <laughs> we are taking that name back before any of our friends 
can get it. Here's the last rule. We're having a little fun with this, but I'll end on this one. It has to work with the last name. When you get ready to name a kid, you got to think of how that thing's going to flow. So there's this, there's this former governor of Texas. This is absolutely a true story. Former governor of Texas, his name was James Hogg. <laughs> governor Hogg did not pay attention to this rule, and he named his precious little girl Ima. For some of you, there was a little delay. Maybe you need to think about getting another cup of coffee in the mornings. Need you to be a little sharper here. That poor baby girl had to go through life with I'm a hog as a name. Yeah, she did. Uh, and as we would say in the South, bless her heart. You know, you guys are on it, man. Y'all know. Uh, here's another true story. Mr. and Mrs. Register found out that they were pregnant with a baby boy, and they named him Cash. Man, what are you doing? Did you not think through that? Here's the last one. Never thought about middle initial, but on legal documents, Chris Bacon became Crispy Bacon. So you don't want to do that either. Names are important. Names are important. We are known by our name. People know us. That's how, that, that's how people, our identity gets so tied up in, in the name we've been given. And in Scripture, names were also important. In fact, probably even more so because your name tied with either an event that had happened in your life or a vision for your life that your parents had. So if they wanted you to grow up and do Whatever that was, they would name you a name that had that meaning. I'll give you a couple examples. Elisha in the Old Testament. Prophet comes after Elijah. That's a name that we uh, use quite a bit in, in society today. Still in 2019, we use the name Elijah. But Elisha has a powerful meaning. He was a, a great man of God, miracle worker, and his name means my God is my salvation. That's pretty cool. My God is my salvation. Obviously, his parents wanted that to be true over his life. There was this vision for his life. Then I think about Moses. Moses' name literally meant deliver. Deliver. And then if you've read the book of Exodus, you know that God called Moses to go rescue the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. It became, he became the face. He became the leader, the one that God used to deliver his chosen people out of captivity. Moses lived up to his name. God cared so much about your name being an accurate representation for the vision of your life that he would change people's names in Scripture. The one we all know about is Saul to Paul. When Saul was persecuting Christians, he was Saul. When God uh, radically redeemed him, when he had that Damascus Road experience, his name became Paul. Abram became Abraham. He was to be the father of many nations. God had a plan and a vision for his life, and his name needed to reflect that. Names are important. But the thing I would tell you is, I would even go a step further and say, if names are important, and we all would agree that they are, the names of Jesus 
are the most important. That there couldn't be anything more important than understanding either the names of God or specifically today, I want us to look at the names of Jesus because what God would do is when He would show us a different name for Jesus, He was showing us a different side of Jesus. He was revealing Jesus to us from a different angle. It was a different reality of truth, things that were to be true of Jesus' life. Just like when you go to the jeweler and you purchase a diamond. When you purchase that diamond, that, that diamond, if it's cut well, it's, called, it's multifaceted. There are all these different cuts and angles and faces on that diamond because the goal is that when you take that diamond and no matter which way you turn it, no, no matter which angle you look at it from, you want the light to catch the eye. You want that diamond to be brilliant. You want that diamond to, to glimmer. Well, essentially, that's what happens with Jesus. God gives us some names of Jesus, and they help us understand the multifacetedness. I know that's not a word for you English teachers out there. The multifacetedness faceted nature of who Jesus is and the reality of him. And so we go to the prophet Isaiah, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse, and it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There are those four names right there at the end of that verse that help us understand who Jesus is and who he can be for us if we will get in on that, if we will learn about that and cooperate with that. Let's go through that verse. Let's start all the way back at the beginning. For to us a child is born. That alone is good news. To us a child is born. That Jesus wasn't just to be for the Jewish people. He wasn't just to be for the spiritually elite. He wasn't just for certain people. Hear me, church. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how disconnected you may feel from Jesus, to us, a child is born to us, to you, to me, to these Israelites all that many years ago. To us, a child is born. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Because of Jesus, you and I can have a brand new future because of what Jesus did for us. Let's keep going. The next part says, to us, a son is given again I love that to us a son is given this idea that when God got ready to give us a gift when God got ready to reach out on our behalf and to reconcile us he didn't just give us a gift he gave us the very best gift he had he gave us his only begotten son let's read it in John chapter 3 Go to the next slide, guys. For God so loved the world, we're all familiar with this, that he what? Gave his one and only son. 
He gave us the best of what he had. He gave us his very own son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That because of what Jesus did in coming to this earth and and living a perfect and holy life and dying for our sin on that cross, that now we can be reconciled to him. But it keeps going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love that. Jesus' primary mission when he came here, he knew we were sinful. He knew we had messed up. He knew that we had fallen from grace. He knew that we were separated from God. And He didn't come with the rod to beat us. He didn't come to condemn. No, no, no. Jesus came so that we might be saved. And then go, uh, go back to Isaiah 9-6. And the government will be on His shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. When you do a search in the original language, when you look in the Hebrew, that word government, that is the only time that specific word for government is used in all of Scripture. It's the only time. The reason for that is because what Jesus was to establish, the government that he was going to create here on earth, was unlike anything we had ever seen. It was not a worldly economy. It was not a government like you and I think of government and governors and taxes and all those things. He was creating a kingdom economy here on this earth. The government will be upon his shoulders. And then now we get into our our, our main emphasis for today. Here, Here are the multifaceted nature of Jesus. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Over the next few weeks, we're going to single out those names and we're going to begin to look at them one by one. But for those people in Isaiah, what, what they would have heard, what they would have thought when they read that, it would have been a tremendous source of hope. See, Isaiah didn't write this like Mary gets pregnant, she tells people she's pregnant, and then Isaiah writes it. No, no, no. Isaiah wrote these words. Isaiah penned these words nearly 800 years before Jesus was ever to be born. Hundreds and hundreds of years before there was a baby in a manger, there was a prophet with a pen. And that would have been a tremendous source of hope for these Israelites that Isaiah shared this message with. The reason that was going to be such a big deal is because there was a guy by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III. Talk about a bad name. <laughs> Tiglath-Pileser III, he was over the Assyrian, the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrian army had marched out and they had conquered Aram, which is modern-day Syria. They had conquered Canaan. And now Israel is in the crosshairs. Israel's back is up against the wall. And and as a nation, she was very desperate at this point. Now, at times in the past, if, if you read the Old Testament, what would happen when a nation would come against Israel? 
God would squash them like a bug. Because they were His holy people. They were His nation. You didn't mess with Israel. But this time was going to be different. This time there was going to be a different reality. Because see, Israel had rebelled against God. Israel had fallen into idolatry. Israel had given way. They had distanced themselves from God. Now it didn't start like that at first. It didn't start like that at first. It started with a sin. It started with some small things. Oh, that's not, that's not a big deal. I mean, come on, really. That, that, that little thing, that little sin, it's not a big deal. But sin separates. Sin separates us from a holy God. And, and then... When we get separated from Him, God is the source of all wisdom. And so when we become separate from the source of all wisdom, left to our own devices, I I do what I think is right. And I do what feels good. And I do what seems right in my eyes. That's what happened in the book of Judges. That, That is literally the theme of the book of Judges. There's a verse there that says, And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Why? Because they had distanced themselves from God. They had rebelled. And next thing you know, they're worshiping idols. They're rebelling against God. You say, okay, Pastor Andrew, thanks for the history lesson. What does that have to do with me? Hear me, church. The, Satan has the same playbook. He, he really does. The same thing that he did to lead the nation of Israel astray, he is still doing in 2019, and we are still falling for it. There's sin, and it seems small. And we're tempted to sweep it under the rug and hide it. We're tempted to say, oh, that's not a big deal. I mean, come on, man. There are other people who are doing way worse. And we will compare, and we will justify, and we will do anything we can to get the focus off of that sin. But the reality is that when sin enters our life, when we don't immediately deal with it and ask for forgiveness, when we harbor it, when we keep it around, when we explain it away, when we hide it, what happens? We're separated. We're separated from a holy God, and then what happened to Israel happens to us. Next thing you know, it's a a few months later. It's a year or two later. And we wouldn't even recognize ourselves anymore. Because of the decisions we've made. And, and we would have never made that decision initially. But given some time and given some space and some distance from God, we would be surprised at the choices we would be willing to make. In fact, if you've lived some life, I, I see some of the, uh, the wiser, older statesmen and stateswomen of the church right now just nodding. And you're wishing, you're sitting there praying, God, I hope that that young adult is listening. God, I hope that that teenager is listening. Because if they would listen, they would save themselves a lot of heartache. If they would remain in intimacy with God, they would save themselves a lot of heartache. So God is going to allow the nation of, Israel, the nation of Assyria to come. God is going to not squash them like a bug. 
God is going to allow Israel to be in a desperate place. Because sometimes that is the only thing we understand. We've distanced ourselves from God, and then when we need Him, we want to be able to call Him, and we want Him to be right there. But what so often happens is God says, okay, you want to be by yourself. Man, I love you. I'm right here. I want to be reconciled to you. But sin has to be punished because God is not just a God of grace. He is a God of justice. And so sin deserves punishment. So he will allow pain to come in our life. I think about the prophet Jonah. Do you guys remember what happened to him? He willfully separated himself from God. He said, I, God called him to Nineveh. He said, I don't want to go. He gets on a ship headed in the other direction. The storms begin to rage. The seas go crazy. The waves are pounding. The wind is howling. Everybody on that boat was scared to death. And Jonah is asleep in a cargo hold. And the men come down. They're like, wake up. What are you doing? Are you serious? Man, we're going to die. They cast lots. They find out Jonah knows something. So at that point, he's called. He says, I'm running from God. Throw me overboard and, and everything will be calm. At first, we might be tempted to say, well, man, God is so mean. Why in the world would he do that? Jonah made one bad choice. He made one bad decision. He, he rebelled against God one time. But God didn't send this storm to get Jonah. God sent this storm to get Jonah back. And, and God was going to allow some pain in the nation of Israel, not to get them, but to get them back. And the reason we know that, and the reason that they could be full of hope as Isaiah, as they read Isaiah 9-6, is because they knew that it might be bad for a little while, but there's a Messiah that's coming, and He's going to be a mighty God. And He's going to be a Prince of Peace. And He's going to be an Eternal Father. And if we'll listen to Him, He's going to be a wonderful Counselor. And that's what I want to talk about today in the time that we have left. That Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Now when we think about counseling, when, when you hear the word counselor or counseling, I know what you think. You're thinking of a man or a woman and they're sitting in a chair and someone's laying on their couch and they're telling them their secrets or what happened in their childhood. They are confessing things. That is kind of where our mind goes. But really, that is a more modern-day understanding of counseling. That is a more secular understanding of counseling. In Scripture, when you see the word counsel or counselor or counseling, it was this idea of one who, yes, listens first, but then the counselor, their primary role was to give guidance. Their primary role was to instruct. Every time I hear that word, counselor, I go back. Uh, I've got a pastor buddy, and uh, I, I think about how he told me this story about how he was such a bad counselor, and his church had grown a little bit, and, and they finally had enough money that they were going to be able to bring someone on kind of as an as-needed basis to help him counsel. And he said, I'm just so bad. I said, man, why do you think you're bad? You're such a wise guy. You know scripture. You're 
I don't think you're as bad as you think you are. And then he told me this story that uh, it had been a few months earlier. This couple had come to him for counseling, marriage counseling. And it was bad. And their marriage was on the rocks. And, and things just really were not looking good. And he sits down with this couple and he hears them out. And he couldn't believe the things that he had done, the things that she had said, the things that the kids had heard. He couldn't believe how bad it was. And he said, they had talked for a little while. And then at the end, at the end of the session, they got quiet. And I realized, oh, they're ready for me to talk. Oh, it, it's my turn to say something. They're here for me to tell them what they need to do. And so he said, I couldn't think of anything else. My jaw dropped open as I heard all of this information. And the only thing I could think to say was, Oh my Lord, what are y'all going to do? <laughs> that is not what you want your counselor to say to you. In Hebrew culture, uh, and that's where the Old Testament scriptures come from, uh, wisdom wasn't just to know. Wisdom was to do. Wisdom was not just to know. Wisdom was to do. And so the biggest fool was one who knew and didn't do. You guys missed a spot for a good amen. I'm going to say that one more time. I know y'all were writing, weren't you? That's what it, the biggest fool was the one who knew but didn't do. Amen. amen. And so what are we doing with what we know. You see, we get so caught up sometimes in knowing all the facts. I want to I know more and more and more. And what kind of weird, odd facts can I know? And how many scriptures can I memorize? All that stuff's good. I, hear me, hear me, hear me. I wish we could all, I wish all of us would take seriously scripture memorization. I wish all of us had a desire to get in our word. That is a good thing. But again, the biggest fool is not the one who doesn't know. The biggest fool is the one who knew but didn't do. Look at what Proverbs eleven fourteen says. It says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. The next verse there, Proverbs 24, 6. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Two verses that essentially say something very close to the same thing, and that is, bottom line, the number one thing I want you to take away from this is that we need counselors in our life. We need counselors in our life. We need people who we can call on when we're making big decisions. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. You need counselors. When you're in high school and you're deciding what college to go to or you're deciding what your career should be or you're deciding where to live or you're deciding, should I change jobs? Should I buy this house? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I... How much should I save for retirement? In every single one of those big decisions and in millions of smaller decisions, we need people in our life who we trust, who know us, 
who can give counsel. We need those people who, who can tell us what we should do. But because the fact is, I am so close to the decisions in my life, there are some emotions tied up in those decisions. And if I'm not careful, I will make a decision based out of emotion instead of a decision based out of fact or a decision based out of what God's Word says or a decision based on what is really best or what's really wise. Okay, so we need counselors. Well, where do we get those counselors? God's put them all around you. It could be a friend. It could be your spouse. It could be your bridge group leader. It probably is all of those people wrapped up in one. It's probably all of them. But when, when we go to those people, the thing that you need to make sure of, the thing that I need to make sure of, is that they are giving us godly advice. That, that this advice that they're telling us about is soaked and saturated in the Word of God because, frankly, I don't need to know what you think. I need to know what God would have me know. I need to know what God would tell me. And God often uses us to speak into other people's lives. He always uses His Word. Are we in His Word? Do we have people in our life? Those are the counselors that we need. We need counselors. The second thing I want you to know is that we need the wonderful counselor. It's not just enough. And as a matter of fact, if you could only have one, you need the wonderful counselor more than you need counselors. Because just like my pastor buddy, there are times when those people that you go to for counsel, they're going to look at you and say, I don't know. We need Jesus. Amen. As a matter of fact, that ought to be our standard answer whenever somebody comes to us with a hard problem. Just look at them and go, you need Jesus, you know? Wonderful counselor. Let's break it down. That first word, wonderful, that is the Hebrew word pele. Pele. It means beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. Too wonderful for words. It is this idea of the miraculous, the, the indescribable, the, the can't even fathom it. Now, in our culture, we've kind of cheapened the word wonderful. We, we really have. If somebody were to come up to you this morning and say, hey, man, you want to hit up Pizza Village after church? You may say to them, hey, that sounds wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I love Pizza Village. <laughs> the chocolate chip dessert. Oh, my goodness. That's part of the reason why, you know? I love Pizza Village. Pizza Village is good, but Pizza Village is not wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is Pele. Let's look at it in Scripture, Exodus 15, 11. It says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Do you get that picture? Majestic in holiness, revered in praise, performing Pele, performing wonders. You are wonderful. You are indescribable. Now, in some of your translations of Scripture, you, might, you may notice, you may have wonderful, comma, counselor, comma. I, I don't believe that that is the best interpretation of that. 
In all of the other descriptions of Jesus, you see Prince of Peace, Eternal Father, Mighty God. It's a Hebrew couplet. It's two words, one word that describes the other. It, it, it takes it to a new level. It, it helps you understand the dimension that Isaiah is speaking from. And so this is not just any wonderful God. This is not just any miraculous God. He is a wonderful counselor. So it's Pele Yates. Pele Yates. That means to advise, to consult, or to guide. Again, the idea of counselor in Scripture was one who did more talking than listening. It was one who would counsel you and tell you. He would guide you which way you should go. Isn't that comforting? I mean, think about that for a moment. How often do we say, God, your will be done. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? God, here's, here's a common one now. God, would you open doors and close doors? How many times have we prayed that? Dear Lord, show me the way I'm supposed to go. Scripture tells us that God wants to. He wants to guide us. But the question then is, can you call him Wonderful Counselor? Can, can you? Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you call him Wonderful Counselor. Well, the only way that you can call him Wonderful Counselor is if you embrace his advice for you. It, it, the only way you can call him Wonderful Counselor is if you embrace his counsel. What does, that, what does that mean? If I embrace his counsel, I want to embrace it. Give you a little case in point. It's coming up on January 1st. Enjoy the holiday parties. Enjoy the uh, big dinners. Enjoy all the chocolate of Christmas. Enjoy all of that. Because come January 1st, you know what our mind is going to shift to? Oh, man, I need to get in shape. <laughs> Got to lose some weight. Really let myself go around the holiday. Aren't you? That's what I think every year. If I were to look at you and say, exercise is important. Man. Exercise is important. Have I embraced exercise for my life? No. No, I can know it, I can say it all I want to, but I have not yet embraced it. If I go online and look up exercise plans, I want to know what those guys at CrossFit are doing. I want to know how can I look like Jay. I want to know. Have I embraced exercise for my life? Nope. If I were to go, let's just take it a step further. I'm almost done. Bear with me. If I were to go and look up exercise equipment, and I'm all in on this thing, baby, I buy a Peloton. <laughs> Have I embraced exercise? No, not yet. I only embrace exercise as important for my life whenever I do it. Whenever I do it. We understand that about exercise. But it's the same as absolutely true about God being our wonderful counselor. I only embrace Him being the wonderful counselor in my life when I read His Word and do it. 
when I come to church and listen to sermons and then do something about them. Because again, the biggest fool is the one who knew but didn't do. And if I could, if I could wave a magic wand, if I could pray a prayer and make you do something, it would be, I would, I would pray for you that you would get serious about reading Scripture and that you would get serious about applying it to your life. And you would be amazed at how that would affect your life. I would be amazed. Let me not act like I'm perfect. Let me point the finger at myself. Andrew, if you would get more serious about applying God's Word to your life, people would look at me and say, man, you are so wise. How did you make those good decisions? How did you do those good things? How did you get there? What are you doing? What's your secret? The biggest fool is the one who knew and didn't do. Jesus wants to be our wonderful counselor. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. God, I think about how often... uh, I pray for your direction. I think about how often uh, I pray with people in the church and we're asking for your direction. We're, we're desperate for it. It's amazing how when, when we want to know which way to go, when we're looking for guidance, we'll get real serious. We will fast and pray and read scripture. And the whole time, as we look at the multifaceted nature of Jesus, We see that there is a wonderful counselor that when we are in relationship with Jesus, he is always available to us. God, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that this Christmas, the best gift we could give ourselves is a more intimate relationship with you. God, we're going to have an opportunity for prayer. It is my uh, it's my prayer that those who don't know you as their Lord and Savior would respond to that and would come down front. It's my prayer that for those of us who would say that we're Christians, we know that we would lean in to that nature of God, that nature of Jesus that is available to us. Thank you, God, that to us a child is born. To us a son is given. That the wonderful counselor is for me and it's for all of us. God, we thank you so much for that. I pray uh, for each and every person that's here as, as we leave this place, as we, as we go and get, we've got to buy gifts, we've got to go to work. There's all the hustle and bustle of this holiday season. God, my prayer is that this Christmas season, unlike any other, we would focus on you. And God, I want to pray specifically right now in this moment for those who are lonely. I don't know why God's just dropping, I don't know why you're dropping that in my heart, Lord. I, I just sense that there are those Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad. Maybe you're having to carry all the weight of Christmas and and gifts and making sure people are where they're supposed to be on time. Or or maybe you've had a loved one pass. Maybe God, 
God, I pray for each and every person that feels lonely this holiday season at a time of year where we think about coming together and we think about being with loved ones and family. My heart goes out to those who feel lonely. Lord, I I pray that they would know that they have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I, I pray that through bridge groups or through other mechanisms in the church, through serve teams, through through any means necessary, Lord, that they would find relationships, find people. Lord, that you would bring providential relationships in play so that they wouldn't have to be lonely anymore. I pray, God, for your hand of blessing on us as we go from here. Help us to be your ambassadors and to shine the light of Jesus brightly. I pray all that in Jesus' precious name and everyone said, Amen.